In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, his characters step into the land of Narnia, as you might recall, from a wardrobe. Children that are living in 1940s in London go into this fictitious world that Lewis has created um, to unpack, truly, the mysteries of the Christian faith. While the realm is fictitious, Narnia does not exist, um, the lessons therein, really, for readers both young and old, um, are anything but fictitious. He points to things that we only begin to try to wrap our minds around. The problem of evil is uh, symbolized, as you might recall, through a perpetual winter in the region. Um, Aslan, the Christ-like figure, uh, is crucified, or, or really isn't crucified, he's killed, and then uh, rises again. And when he does, um, it ushers in spring, which begins to push back the winter, but there are still areas that still retain winter as it's not yet fully taken hold. It's a rich, rich book, um, as are all in that series, as I trust for those of you who've read them, have enjoyed them, or now you can even watch them, I believe, um, in various forms and fashion. That series really comes to mind for me when we think about uh, the parables of Jesus. In many ways, what the parables do are kind of like uh, stepping through the wardrobe. They're kind of our, our portal, if you will, that Jesus uses to see the things of God that we might otherwise miss, or even if we didn't miss them, we might otherwise never fully grasp. So Jesus uses these parables in many ways to allow us to cross that threshold to see things for as they are and as they will be. And so with that in mind, um, I'd invite you with me to look back at Matthew 13 and these parables of Jesus. We've got a string of them here uh, this morning. As you open to them in your Bible or if you follow along on the screens, you can keep up with them there. And we'll look at, uh, firstly, uh, two things to which Jesus points, nature of the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And then lastly, we'll look at one uh, application or what does that require of us. So beginning in verse 31, uh, Jesus pulls these two parables that we see together. First, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. The beautiful thing is, um, as only the Son of God can do, right? Uh, this is just a great frame for us. Jesus is the smartest person who's ever lived. I mean, how do you access explaining the depths of the infinite in such a simple way that I don't even have to explain to you the understanding of the parable of either the grain of mustard seed or the leaven? We can understand it, even if you've never seen a mustard seed. I mean, we gather that it's, it's a small seed, uh, it's planted in, a in the ground. Jesus even says it's the smallest of seeds, but it pales um, in comparison to where it began, to where it ends up. In fact, if we think of shrubs and other things that usually have a little bit of size, um, this would catch them off guard when you would think in relationship to that to which it was planted by. Um, here, this is large enough to almost be a small tree, like a crepe myrtle or something that birds could land in. And then we can even let our minds wander, as many who've studied the scriptures have over the years, that perhaps 
The birds that land in its branches are, are us, the Gentiles, those who are not part of the household of faith in, in that time in the kingdom of Israel. And likewise with the leaven, um, we don't uh, have to think too hard. Uh, we've had break and bake cookies. We see what that looks like. It starts off and then it rises. Um, we did this in our household making homemade pizza. If you've ever done that a few weeks ago, you start off with something really thin. You can watch it rise. And the, the measure that Jesus uses, the three measures, is really to show that there's a lot that can produce from such a small thing. In fact, um, three measures of flour kneaded in with uh, the appropriate leaven that Jesus points out could feed probably upwards to nearly 150 people. There's a banquet image that Jesus uses, and thus our mind should go to the, to the, great, the great banquet feast uh, in Revelation uh, when Jesus is in his kingdom as it will be with the people of God forevermore. So really what Jesus um, is pulling forward, and I'm going to borrow a wonderful term that one of the early church fathers, one of the church leaders from the first few centuries used, Bishop Hillary is his name. Um, he talked about these two parables and pointed out what they tell us about the kingdom of heaven is the potency of the kingdom of heaven. And I really like that term, the potency of the kingdom of heaven. We think about that. Um, the potency of something we may not even fully understand initially, but we will. And we will see what that looks like. And when we think about even placing ourselves in this narrative for just a moment, here, these people are gathered listening to Jesus, who is that mustard seed, who is that leaven. And as they're standing here looking at him with this merry band of 12, and it's in the shadow of the Roman Empire. Um, how could they imagine what this kingdom that Jesus is talking about will be, which would actually uh, cast a shadow over every empire throughout all of creation from that point forward? So with that in mind, Jesus wants them to see what they see now is not its full effect. And we can let our minds wander to the same, can we not? So often than not, um, we know that. We have context of looking back and seeing, well, what was once 12 is, is now spread to every corner of the globe, and we can point to the effects thereof. But even in our own day, in our own context, in our own place here uh, at St. Barnabas, um, it sometimes it's hard to see the full effect of the kingdom. There's a couple things that we should note about the potency of the kingdom, which are wonderful, but also great reminders. Notice, of course that the potency of the kingdom is not required to be brought about by anyone. It just is. It's just a, a product of the kingdom. The disciples, both then and, and arguably us now, get to partner with that, get to participate in it, but thanks be to God, it doesn't require us to bring that forth. But God, in his infinite goodness towards us, wants us to see that. Sometimes our glimpses of it are small. And sometimes our glimpses of it may be not at all. I mean, the 12 disciples, even post-Pentecost, as they see things growing and they think perhaps this is what Jesus meant, could have never envisioned what we see now, how Christianity has flourished and blossomed over every corner of the earth. And we should allow ourselves to, to always never lose sight of the potency of the kingdom of heaven when we partner toward that end as well. Um, in, in a bit, and, and certainly in the weeks to come, you'll be invited uh, to all things into the fall, right? Um, all manner of things. And we shouldn't ever neglect what God may do and what seems to be small things. 
whether it's a second service that we start soon, we'll begin to meet this evening to plan in Spanish uh, in the weeks ahead, whether it's uh, you've signed up to help with Sunday school and your week there's two kids in there. Never underestimate the potency of the kingdom as you unpack that scripturally to those kids or to those we encounter. As we go out in outreach, as you'll hear more about in the weeks to come, um, and, and maybe we put in great effort and there's only a few people that show up, never underestimate the potency of the kingdom of heaven. God's going to do what God's going to do, period. And so we get to be a part of it, but we shouldn't be disheartened because the beautiful thing is it's his job, it's his work, and he promises he'll bring it to fruition. And we may catch glimpses, but we may not always nor did the disciples. And so when we do catch those glimpses, we take heart and we're encouraged. But we don't depend on those um, as some sort of metric or measure toward what we're doing. And there's a wonderful second closely related lesson that follows this um, in the next parable, if we kind of take a jump down from verse 31 to verse 44. Just one verse. A whole lot of stuff that Jesus Uh, applies for us here in verse 44, and um, the parable of the hidden treasure in the field, and then closely related, but we'll look at in just a moment, um, the parable of the pearl of great value. Never ceases to amaze me uh, just the potency of even one small parable that Jesus can lay forth and the infinite ways that it can instruct us. But for our purposes, um, I'd like for us to just dwell on this, and then we'll think about it as we look at the next parable in a moment, that the fact that the kingdom of heaven that's likened to a treasure in a field is one that a man found and then covers up, and we'll look at this in a moment, in his joy he sells all that he has to acquire that field. But we notice, of course, um, that the treasure hidden in the field was already there. It's not as though um, it had to, you know, he in some way produces it or it's a treasure he acquires. I mean, we can let our minds wander with this parable and subsequently with the pearl of great value. How many times did presumably the person in that parable pass by perhaps that path where that treasure was buried until they ever found it or discovered it? Likewise, uh, with the parable of the pearl of great value, how many times did that merchant go looking for this pearl passing by you know, stands and shops before he ever discovers it. The point is this, that the kingdom is present, and as one biblical commentator rightly notes, but it's present and yet not always perceived. And so this very closely relates to this idea of the potency, right? Um, Think about it this way. As Jesus is telling this parable, little do they know that they are witnessing the presence of the kingdom of God standing in the person of Jesus Christ before them. They did not yet fully even perceive what Jesus is pointing to. Fast forward to the cross and Jesus' resurrection. Um, The ones who beheld that, the ones who heard about Jesus rose from the dead, little did they realize that the kingdom had come then. That was the moment the kingdom ushers in in a new way, and yet they don't yet fully perceive what God is doing. Fast forward to Pentecost, and we think about the Holy Spirit coming and alighting upon the disciples, those who heard, numbered in 3,000, but little did they perceive at that time that the church is birthed and God was going to do this incredible thing, a terrifying and wonderful thing that he entrusts to people like me and you, the very kingdom of God, so that it may continue to advance. 
I mean, little do we perceive those things. So as we think about the potency and the ways that we partner with God, we also should never neglect that the kingdom of God, um, certainly in our time, is here and is advancing every single day. We don't always perceive it, but that doesn't make it any less real. From time to time, we catch these glimpses that I believe in God's goodness he allows us to see so that it spurs us on, truly out of his goodness and grace toward us. God's kingdom is coming and yet not fully here yet. So lastly, Jesus leaves us with this parable in verse 45 and 46, which are very closely related to the parable of the hidden treasure. Again, this merchant discovers these pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So let's Let's dwell on that and the joy of the man who discovers the treasure in the field in verse 44, who likewise goes and sells all that he has and buys it. Um, Really, the, the point, which is plain and clear, is that the kingdom of heaven is a great prize. In fact, it's not just a great prize, it's priceless. And Jesus makes that clear. And in fact, um, in the, the backdrop of Jesus' day, of so many and different religions, and even in our own as well, Jesus makes it pretty clear that this is not one way to access the kingdom of heaven, one pearl of great value among many, or one treasure in a field that can be found, and as there are others. Jesus makes it really clear that there's only one pearl of great value, there's only one treasure in a field, there's only one way to access the kingdom of heaven, and that is through he himself, who is the one that is that treasure, who is that leaven, who is that um, mustard seed, so on and so forth. And so he unpacks that to make it clear. And because of that, he tells us that this prize is priceless, so priceless it's worth pursuing and giving up everything for because nothing in this life can even begin to compare. And so what does this ask of us? Well, if we recognize that, First, we're called, Jesus invites us to recognize that if that prize is priceless, then that requires an action on our part, first and foremost, right, to come to him through faith and through the waters of baptism. But that doesn't just mean, okay, I've done that, tick that box, I'll just worship until Jesus comes back. But rather that we pursue that every single day. We pursue that, not that um, we don't have access to it, but we give our lives that. We want to see that in all of its glory. If it's of that much value and the kingdom of heaven is present, we've not yet fully realized it, then we give ourselves to see it as it's intended to be. And that comes in big ways and in small. One uh, prominent New Testament theologian in our tradition put it quite pointedly this way. I'll quote him because it's wonderful. He said, you know, the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus puts it here, and I'll quote, isn't just a, a pleasant religious idea that you like to explore when you have a spare hour or two, nor an attractive object in a museum that you might visit and explore. No, the kingdom of heaven is priceless, a priceless prize, and therefore is worth pursuing at all costs. So what does that lead us to reflect on? Well, in the weeks to come, um, I'd encourage you to think about the ways 
that um, the Lord would be calling you to pursue that. Um, of course, you know, every church that's worth her salt should give you some access points to do that. Uh, for us, uh, we'll launch back into Bible studies. Um, we've even got some new endeavors with some healing ministry Bible studies and Order of St. Luke that are coming. There's all sorts and manner of ways for you to grow in the likeness of Jesus. And avail yourself of that. We are even trying to find the ways that we miss the gaps. Trying to put off my hat and normal collar for a moment and think like a kid, like a dad of young kids. We're, we're even looking at ways that we could have a Sunday after worship for our parents to have childcare and food for their kids so they can engage in Bible study. What does it take so that everyone has an on-ramp to continue to pursue that priceless prize? And then we need to find the ways that we put that into practice. Um, there's going to be many ways. One great way that I want to highlight and, and ask your prayers for in two days. Um, one, we'll have a member join our team. He's not unfamiliar to many of you. In a few weeks, uh, John Heffron and his wife, Christy, um, they are moving on Tuesday to an apartment complex five miles from here with the sole purpose of trying to reach those folks who are predominantly Spanish speakers with the gospel and bring them in our midst as we try to reach our friends and neighbors that we are not yet reaching. Pray for them. There's also going to be access points where you can just come a couple times a month and just show up and love on people. You don't have to do much. Handing out lemonade was what one of our prisoners did this week. Um, just ways to connect. So where do we put that in action? Those things require your time. Those things are going to require your energy. They're going to require your substance. Um, and they should. And they're worth it. And so these are the things we're called to reflect upon because the potency of the kingdom reminds us that regardless, irregardless of what we choose to do or not, God's going to do it. But how much more fun is life? How much more full is life? How much more purposeful is life when we recognize the presence of the kingdom and pursue it so that on that day, not if, but when it comes to be fully established, we are there to greet it with all joy and eagerness because we've wrestled that down through the course of our life. That's what Jesus reminds us to. That's what Jesus invites us to step over the threshold of the portal to look at for just a moment so that we might model our lives towards that end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.